0: It is really the perfect example of in the long run, everything is follow up. It's nearly five years ago. I've, I've, I thought you were going to say something profound there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 this is disappointing.
1: Huh? <laughs> Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 243 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Dimitro, and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jaime Lipis Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. So, hi, maybe we have any Ask MTJC?
0: TJC. We've got a couple. One is from our friend of the show and sometimes former co host, uh, Greg Hio, mm-hmm. who says that uh, Pocket Casts also shows episode art. And he's got a handy little photo of episode 242. The rise of Pan. and I think we were discussing the um, the album art, perhaps the cover art for yeah, the episodes art, yeah. on uh, Overcast. Is that the conference.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think about a year into the show, I started doing a, uni- a, a different um, cover for each episode, and I discovered when I published them through um, Fireside, they automatically add it to the to the episode, right? Um, and you said you get them when you download the download the episodes as well. But um, and I noticed in the podcast app that they weren't showing the artwork, but they do show them in Overcast. And I and I looked. Around. I think Castro, I tried Castro and it, it doesn't show the artwork either. So I kind of wondered like what the convention is for that, right? And that's like why Greg is replying. I guess he listens in, in Pocket Casts and that's how he gets his his art. But following up on what you and Drew were talking about, up here's last week we were talking about the new podcast page that Apple's got going for everybody. You know where it shows the preview of the uh, episodes
0: and stuff? Oh yeah, the web-based um, podcast, player, Apple yes. podcast player, right, right.
1: Yeah. So that one um, shows the episode art if you, if you dial into one of the episodes like if you click on it on uh like click on one to say listen more preview whatever that shows the artwork as well so yeah because and by the way that is that is working in canada now i think when we were real-time follow-up or post-time follow-up when we were talking on the show it seemed to work and then it seemed to go away because it reverted back to the way the page was before and then after when i was mixing the show on saturday i think it was i noticed that the the um the new preview was working again so i think i put a note in the in the, in the, the actual um text of, description of the episode so that's good so I'm, I'm not wasting my time doing episode uh, cover art it's appreciated <laughs> relative, relative or not relative there are some easter eggs in there you got it maybe you got to figure out you know my weird sense of humor what what uh, what the time this also goes for spot because I do I do them for spotcasts as well so, so you know I, I hope people are scratching their heads as they're watching listening to the episode trying to figure out where the where the art comes from
0: sometimes the art is mentioned early on but you know maybe. we go
1: all right so do you have another ask MTJC yeah it's a, ask.
0: it's a pair of related <laughs> tweets by uh, friends of the show and heir to the the Q line empire. Uh, he's, a, he's
1: a number one fan of spotcast, isn't he?
0: Right. Right. So yeah. for those who don't know, that is uh, uh JPK news, uh, Jonathan. Patrice Coolein. Coolein. <laughs> <Kuline. laughs> I, I don't know his middle name. Who's our co-host on the uh, Spockcast uh, podcast. And, uh, Anyways, it's Xavier Coolein is, is saying that um, regarding the triple camera system on the iPhone 11, as we might call it here, uh, some Android phones such as the Samsung Galaxy S10 and the Huawei P20 Pro also have three cameras. And then following up with that, uh, also a potential application of a facial recognition system on the rear camera would be to automatically tag people in Instagram posts or something like that, hmm. which is interesting. I, I actually was not on that episode where you guys covered the uh, yeah, larger camera yeah. wheel bump square uh, on the back that, that people are saying is going to be for the new iPhone. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, I mean...
2: We we're, were wondering what some of the possible applications of that might be and what you might actually use it for. But that, yeah, triangulation an really... you know, tagging and Facebook and things
1: like that. Yeah, but when you sort of... Oh, I guess you... Like, yeah, if you tag somebody, they need to agree to have that tag published, published, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that if I tag you on Facebook, it can, it'll stay, you know, undisclosed. Until you go in and approve it, right? Kind of thing is what I mean. So, yeah, it, it's a potential idea. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be for publicly tagging someone, but it could recognize who's in your pictures if, if you. Oh, true. If you have, you know, some if you've identified a certain person at some point and they're in your camera roll, then mm-hmm. then maybe uh, maybe it can do that.
1: But doesn't the photo app do that already? Kind of thing or guesses it seems to be pretty good. I, I've, yes. I've been using it for the last little while since I discovered it's there. The you know the the AI that's built into the photos app now. It's a little weaker on the phone, but it's. Uh, it, It's somewhat. It's different, but better on the on the Mac itself. Like you can search for. You want to look for cars? It'll show you all the pictures of cars that you have. And Mm -hmm. it's not. I mean, the other day I was looking for. um, My dog lost his uh, his uh, license tag on his um, you know on his collar that he wears, right? And um, so I I just typed in metal because I figured it was kind of like a metal, right? And and sure enough, the Photos app found it for me. So which a picture I took like four years ago, right? When the thing was shiny and new. Yeah, anyway, but yeah, so, so it's good for like looking for, I think if you type in check, it uh-huh. might show checks and stuff like that, you know? It's kind of smart. And, it, and But it is dumb on the photos because, you know, you take a picture of somebody and you go into the Photos app and it wants to... Has this weird thing it says, like, you know, on your iPad or whatever. It says to lock it and plug it in for some reason. I guess it wants to do it in a, as a background process. And um, I think similar on the Mac, it does some weird things that way. But anyway, that's, that's photos. All right, let's move on. Um, so we have uh, in our follow-up, uh, Jaime, you've got an article here about the Apple Store.
0: Yeah, this relates to subscriptions. And this is a Verge article that ultimately is referencing a series of tweets by David Bernard on uh, Twitter that says that Apple has added an additional confirmation step for subscriptions. So you get this new alert, Mm -hmm. apparently, after you confirm with uh, Touch ID and Face ID that will say, like, confirm subscription. The subscription will continue unless canceled in settings at least once a day before a subscription period ends. Oh, it shows up every day? No. That's a really weird test there. I I think this is somebody who's digging through um, uh, beta versions of iOS. I don't think this is something you See today, but I could be I could be one hundred percent mistaken. I think it was something that's being looked at to address the.
1: Yeah, I did a trial trial app of something and uh, recently, and, and uh, I didn't do it to continue to trial, but it did uh, it did give me kind of a, a, a very clear warning that this was going to continue as
0: a as a subscription if I didn't cancel before the period was over, right? So yeah, I think this was added to handle those scam apps we've talked about before. That's why this is oh, follow up. Right. Where it's like, oh no, there's this uh, thing that pops is like, oh you're going to pay, and it's like I don't want to pay hit the home button, get away on, on devices that have home buttons and whoops, the touch ID is so dang fast that it actually registers as like, Oh, looks like you paid. Oh. <laughs> like this would be a lot harder with face ID. Cause you'd have to somehow trick the user into like double tapping the side button when there's really no reason for them to do so. They'll just swipe up from the bottom of the home indicator. So I think this is predominantly a fix for um, touch ID based systems and scams, but you know, it's kind of nice for a face ID too to make sure like you really understood what was happening when you tap the little button that says, yes, I would like to sign up for $399. dollars hmm
1: But you could actually twitch and hit double tap the, uh, the button as you're trying to get back to home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would not <laughs> recommend holding the,
0: you know, cradling the entire phone in such a way that accidental, you know, bumps on the uh, the subway or something will cause you to buy the huge in-app purchase. Yeah,
1: but you can always go into subscriptions and cancel that way too, though, right? Yeah. Like, and even Apple- Even if has, you end up paying for a month or something.
0: Yeah. And Apple has made that easier too. It used to be kind of buried away and in a fairly recent of iOS uh, version of iOS 12. They mm-hmm. made it much more front and center. Uh, I think we talked about that too a little bit prior to the uh, March events where they did all the subscription service type stuff.
1: This guy, you yeah, it's funny that I'm surprised that, well, I mean, with the scammers, they probably have opened up Apple's eyes to it a bit, but I'm surprised that there isn't sort of a cooling down period. You know how they call that when you, you, you make, you agree to do something, you accept some term or, or of a contract. That's essentially what you're doing. Um, and there's, there's sort of like a 24 hour, 48 hour sort of window where you can go and change your mind. Yeah. yeah. Bring that. Cause I mean, they do that with their hardware. Like you can bring back. You don't like something? You can bring it bring it back within a couple of weeks. I think of of buying it from the Apple Store, right? And Probably the same with online purchases too. Yep. Anyway, it's good good to see that they're uh, they're adding more to restrictions. All right. So the big news. Let's get to the big news. Da, da, da. Yeah, big this news. is the big follow up, and that just It's so big. Both of us put
0: things, and I put two links.
1: You put I put two one link. You put two links.
0: Whole plethora of links, and there's a there's even a follow up to this bit of follow up. So the the big news here is that Apple and Qualcomm have uh, come to an agreement, and both immediately dropped all of their lawsuits that we've, we've talked about regarding the uh, patents and royalties that are required for Qualcomm's technology. Apparently, there has been a six-year global patent licensing agreement that has been reached that can be extended to um, a couple more years beyond that. And Qualcomm and Apple have agreed to have Qualcomm as the supplier of parts to Apple for things like uh, 4G radios, but more importantly, the 5G radios that will be coming up in future versions of the iPhone. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's pretty significant. It's a big story. I mean, it even hit our our news channels up here on, on you know on the TV up in Canada, right? So mm. I've got a link here for,
0: for CTV News,
1: which is one of our TV main TV channels across you know national channel, right? Um, yeah, sort of you know similar to NBC or ABC sort of thing, and they're talking about they're talking about it the same way. So, but there's a follow up story here, and just notice you put up here as well, Jaime.
0: Yeah, the follow up to this follow up is that <laughs> like around the same time, and it's very suspicious timing, and it makes all sorts of people wonder um, if this was something that was known. prior to the agreement that apple and qualcomm went into but uh, intel says it is exiting the 5g phone business and is going to focus on modems for pcs and smart home devices as well as other non-phone things so they have completely given up the market to qualcomm in this case
1: yeah it's interesting that, that's actually pretty big pretty big but yeah do you think it, you think it was because they they smelt, saw the writing on the wall or because doesn't intel still make apple's main processors not the main processors. They they did the well. They they the, do uh, they started the main
2: processor for the Mac,
1: but oh, the Macs, right? Okay, yeah,
2: the iPad or the iPhone.
1: Those ARM processors are made by um, PC something. Yeah. Well, the ARM
2: processors are designed in house and manufactured at uh, TSMC, Taiwan
1: Semiconductor. TSMC, yeah, right.
2: But oh, of yeah. course, the, the Macs as of now still use the Intel family, the you know the Pentium family, x eighty six family of, of chips. Hmm. But yeah. it is kind of interesting that that Intel is giving up that business. I mean, maybe they've just decided that they just can't compete in. That market, and if if, if Apple was kind of their only uh, major customer for it, and Apple just is now going with Qualcomm for sure, then maybe they just decided it wasn't worth it. It's hard to say why they did it.
1: So, are Samsung and Huawei making their own chips? I don't know who makes their chips.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure about Huawei, but I do know that Samsung does make ARM-based chips and might even split with TSMC for some versions of the iPhone. I'm unclear how well, that they, works. Yeah,
2: they make the chip, but not clear who makes the modem, 5G modem, percent.
0: So I was thinking about Android. About the Android market, though, yeah, which we don't know about. Yeah, I, I think it is predominantly Qualcomm over there as well. Hmm.
1: Well, it's interesting. Interesting. So, who put the low-end phone here?
2: Oh, I put that in. Okay. So, interesting article today. So, people, of course, are always looking at the supply chains and 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 uh, trying to get any kind of clues of what what Apple's going to do in the future. And so this this article uh, says that uh, there's evidence in the supply chain that uh, Apple's going to have a new 4.7 inch, which is the size of the current iPhone 8 uh, phone in March 2020, which is kind of interesting hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, it's out of cycle, of course, uh, and uh, it would still be the same old design with the with the Touch ID and a and uh, smaller screen. Uh, probably, I would assume, not an OLED screen. It would be a, a lower-end phone. And, and uh, the, the claim is that this will be a 600 to 600 dollar phone. So whether this is an answer to, you know, they've run out of the, uh, the SEs that were stuck in that warehouse somewhere and they need to have some more low end phones or... <laughs> Or, or maybe they're trying to address one of the overseas markets, say India, uh, that, that prefers a lower-end phone. Uh, but its I think it's actually a good move because I, I've always thought that, that the shift to only the higher you know, $1,000 plus phones was was kind of a bad move in Apple's part. I always thought they sh- that they should have something like, well, previously it was the SE, but so, some lower-end phone for, for the entry-level market. And uh, I, I think this makes sense because to do this compared to an SE, just because the SE, I don't know if the last time, last i'm using se but man that screen is small <laughs> uh once you're used to a an iphone 10s or something like that that screen is small but the iphone 8 is still reasonably good sized, so i think that's a good choice for the entry level one so i'm, I'm kind of happy to see this
1: yeah as a matter of fact i've been using a 5s in my in my i mean i don't i don't use phones to test all that much but i have one in my in my computer bag at the office and then pull it out every now and then just to do a quick test but yeah, yeah you're right time. i mean i don't know if i i kind of I get kind of nostalgic for it it is it is a lot smaller um by the way, I don't think March is really off-cycle in a sense because I think they, they did the product red iPhone 7 in March. Um, so they might have a – there may be a, a reason for them to have March releases for sort of off-cycle phones, but that sort of seems to be the time frame they use. So yeah. that's not surprising. And maybe
2: it's because it's a low-end phone and they're not – it's not a flagship phone, are they don't want to cannibalize the flagship sales in the fall. So if it's six months out of phase from the flagship, you know, they, they, the people who really want that will buy it, but it's probably not going to prevent anyone who is going to buy a high end phone from buying a
1: high end. It's kind of like, you know, like you said there, it's almost like Porsches and Volkswagens. Like there's the, the is the company going to be Porsche and only make Porsches or are they going to be, are they going to, do they need to supply the people who are, are in the budget for budget or mindset for Volkswagens?
0: Right. You know, uh-huh.
1: uh, same type of analogy because they're, Practically the same thing in some
0: senses, right? Seems interesting. It it is funny that it is uh, off cycle from the normal devices, but it is remarkably on cycle for this uh, entry phone, the SE style phone. Um, the only thing that confuses me a little bit about this is the pricing. So, if I remember correctly, the iPhone SE when it launched was something like four hundred US, and so three ninety nine US, and that's at the time you know when the the entry for the the premium models was six fifty. Yeah, that's a pretty sizable. Savings, but in this case, if you're talking about uh, an iPhone 10R at 750, this is 650. I mean, sure, it, it's a discount, but I, I feel like it really should be 499 at, at that top end of that for this energy price. If you can't get it back down to 399 for you know economic well, reasons, you're assuming
2: there'll be an, there'll be an XR next year.
0: Oh, sorry, a 10R. A 10R.
2: I said XR. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe right. this will be the iPhone 9. It could be. It could be.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? So, yeah. So I, I, so if, okay, so. if
2: there is no 10R model, if they only do the higher end, the OLED models with the with Face ID in the fall of this year, then that leaves a, a pretty big hole that this would fill.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it would make sense under under that scenario because yeah, what is it like 9.99 for for the 10s on the, on the low end? Well, who knows what or next 10, year will be. Or, or 10.99 something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of money.
1: So, um, quick question. Just this is just related to this particular page. I don't know if you guys are looking at it right now, but so I'm curious because I've been using for the most part. I've been using um, DuckDuckGo, which apparently isn't tracking me. But um, I see an ad for an Aurora Pro X2 SSD drive. And since I was just in the market for an SSD drive recently, are you seeing the same ad? I am seeing that ad. Oh, okay. All right. So it's not just me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm I'm, like, it's just coincidental that I literally just, I ordered an OWC drive and then I canceled the order because I found the Transcend one was cheaper, right? Or less expensive. the same type of thing, right? Uh That's what I ended up going with. I had to go with a Transcend one that was designed for... For the actual um, Apple computer, or for the with uh, it with the with the, pro, the MacBook adapt uh, interface on it, right? Because trying to use those other the other ones was not working with my particular Mac. I don't know if it's the Mac itself or whatever, but because it was the new um, NVMe, the um, non-volatile something memory, whatever. But uh, that's in the new hotness in SSDs, and uh, I think my uh, maybe the uh, Apple's added in the ability in High Sierra, late High Sierra, and in Mojave to support those. But it could, just couldn't get to recognize the drive no matter what I did. So.
2: Oh, the Aura? It, it would not recognize.
1: No, no. I have so I bought a Jet drive from Transcend, but no, I had the, I had a Western Digital NVMe M2 M dot two style SIM, which is the same width and almost length as as the one that goes in the Mac, but mm-hmm. you had to. Get this little adapter that, that changed change the interface over, I right? I couldn't tell if it was the adapter was defective or, but meant, like I said, I think if I when I booted the Mac using a USB key with Mojave installed on it, it saw the, the the empty drive and it gave it the name Windows, right? But as soon as I got into the OS, it didn't it wouldn't recognize the drive, so I couldn't format it. And then so somebody had suggested using Unix to format it, and um, so I loaded up. I, I found this really cool. You can actually load Ubuntu onto a USB stick as well and boot from boot your Mac with Ubuntu, right? And then, uh, but I, but the when I went to do the list command to show the devices on that connected to the the computer, it didn't see the drive either. So but then I was worried that maybe I'd fried the the chip that you recognizes the SSD on the motherboard, right? Though so, unfortunately, I have another I have another MacBook Air here that I could swap the the memory out and make sure that 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 wasn't the motherboard had been fried, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I ended up my my problem by getting to going to a, looking at a 480 480 gigabyte uh, Transcend drive. Yeah, which is and, you know, sad because I'm in the market for a new Mac anyway, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, How much did that cost you, if you don't mind saying?
1: So, well, so to get myself out of the jam, I bought a one hundred dollar Western Digital uh, two and a quarter inch drive, and I bought a USB case and stuck it on, so I could, boot, you know, boot it and back it up and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I had to sort of solve this thing, and I went through. I spent about a week ticking around with this, you know, M2 drive that didn't work at all, and then I then I went and got the Jet drive, and the Jet. So the the M2 drive would have been eighty dollars from from Amazon this is Canadian dollars by the way yeah. I think this was around two it was just under two hundred dollars it It's probably three hundred dollars for tax to for get this a, for a four back up and running gig? for four eighty yeah. yeah yeah
2: so these uh, actually the reason I ask is that it looks like based on that it looks like these auras are a pretty good deal yeah
1: they're they're also they're also a good deal the problem for me though is um, like so I was I bought mine from amazon.ca which meant you know first of all I could get it on prime so I'd have to pay for shipping and it's also already in Canada so that was a Canadian price. I'm quoting right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, when if I buy the Aura Drive, um, it's I think it's 179 for the same 179 US for the same drive. But then I have to pay shipping from Cal from California or Texas mm-hmm. or wherever they are, yeah. and then I have to pay duty when it crosses the border. Right, right. So I, I bought a one ter a one terabyte drive a couple of years ago to try it out, and and that didn't work out. In, in the same computer didn't work out. It kept overheating and it was no good. But that one I think I ended up paying like a, almost almost close to 100. Duty it was it was crazy, and then I, you know, when I unfortunately they have a great policy where you can return things, which is good. Uh, I didn't have to pay for the return shipping, but I could I couldn't figure out how to get the government to give me back my uh, the duty that I paid. Right, like I can make a claim, but I had to get the shipping company that charged me the duty because it's not it's not OWC. It's obviously the broker who brings it across the border that charges you the duty, right? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find any paperwork or record of you know, so I just had to walk away for another hundred bucks. Right, so, yeah, but but this time around, so that's why I decided to buy this one from amazon.com.ca so that I wouldn't have to pay duty because it was already technically in Canada. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because, you know, I was a little worried about it because it said, when I go to format it, it'll be 440 gigabyte. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I, I already have, as I said before on the show, I, well, I'm always tight for space on my drives. Right. And, um, fortunately when I went to do APFS formatting on it, it actually formatted as 479. So I gained uh, another 30 gigs, I guess of oh. space yeah at 30 yeah around that and that's just through through uh, the new um, APFS formatting so so I, I, I'm kind of confined in space and, but not quite and I was able to do a full restore from that that back good backup I had the day the day before the drive died so I was able to get back to that state it just took uh I think 20 hours to restore it from time machine which is you know that's like watching paint dry right <laughs> you know thankfully like again thankfully I had another Mac to work on so it wasn't like completely uh, uh, dead in the water right yeah lots of fun back your back up your data, folks. <laughs> That's the lesson. All right. and our, our, So we're at the new uh, WTF section of the show. Yes. The new segment. Just, yeah, the new segment of the show. So so I've, I found another thing here. This I saw this story yesterday, uh, yes, or two days ago, uh, about um, a, another one of these hackers who claims to have uh, grabbed all this data. Uh, this guy is named Gnostic Player, or Gnostic Players, um, and he claims to have hacked 44 companies, come away with a pile of data. Uh, examples like uh, um, I don't even mind Jolt, uh, Wayne Wellenow, a number of uh, number of companies, and and he he goes on to say that uh, his one of his motivations was to become as famous as another person called Peace of Mind or Peace. And first thing I said when I was talking to a buddy of mine at work about this is said, I said I have no idea who that is, and the guy's well then mission accomplished, right? Because <laughs> he's as famous as the other guy. No, that's a joke. Anyway, um, yeah, just uh, another another pile of people getting hacked, and and I think the ultimate danger here is. As they, they mentioned in in the uh, end of this article, is that people tend to use, reuse passwords across multiple applications, right? Um, like here is an example, this peace of mind guy managed to get like you know 167 million accounts from LinkedIn, 360 from MySpace, Tumblr, 68 million, 71 million from Twitter, which is still pretty much in use by a lot of people. So, um, and this is this is the guy, last guy that was out there selling selling these uh, these uh, accounts. So and so people are hacking into these places to get. Get the the user information to be able to sell it to to um other other companies right
0: yeah i mean just today i saw that uh chipotle customers so chipotle is a fast food restaurant in the united states i'm not sure where else it is made to but Mm -hmm. people were complaining about their accounts being hacked and that there were these weird fraudulent orders that were being charged to their credit cards because you can use the app or the website to uh order ahead right you just go order your local chipotle um apparently though this was not a hack of like the system itself, but rather people reusing their uh, account information across multiple sites. So, Oh, okay. So Chipotle is claiming here that, yeah, like this is just, uh, what do they call it? Uh, credential stuffing is, is not something you can get at a Chipotle burrito, but it's rather the technique where people, uh, hackers in this case, take lists like you were just talking about with this Gnostic Layers thing and start running it against other sites to see, did Jimmy and Sally reuse their password and username somewhere else? And oh, look, Chipotle, right, free burrito. For everybody, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's rather unfortunate. It's why we've um, you know we it probably sounds like a sponsored ad for, at this point, but it's it's totally not. Like this is why we keep talking about password managers, like one password, like just don't reuse your passwords. Um, use a password manager that can deal with that stuff for you because this is the this is the outcome, right? There's there's well, I think also the onus that.
1: isn't just on on us using our passwords. It's also us being the people who are who are writing the software that manages logins and manages security for people is to, you know, to make sure that we're using best practices to make sure we're obf- obfuscating the the password as soon as it's handed to us and, you know, insulting it and sticking it into into our database uh, so that we're not, you know, potentially exposing our customers to these kind of exploits going forward, right? Yeah. Guess, and, ultimately, the and, and
0: there certainly are things we can do, like integrate with uh, uh, iOS's password manager integration where you can just right, yeah. make the, the text fields the right sort of format and it will automatically pull up, you know, even if somebody's not using like a 1Password, a Pass If at the very least keychain access is available there free on your, your Mac and iOS devices. So that's the sort of thing we definitely could encourage people to use by making it just mind numbingly easy to do the safer and more secure thing.
1: And I cringe every time I see a login page where I go to create a new account or login and they're offering me to use my Facebook account or my Twitter account or my Google account to log into these things. I mean, presumably. People used to do that and, all the time for everything. Well, it's, I still every, see it. I still see it. You know, I still yeah. see it to this day. So, I mean, and I'm guilty of using my Twitter account from time to time to just to get something aligned or whatever, right? But, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, that that's, that, 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 as, you know, Mark and I have always sort of said, you know, third-party libraries and dependencies, you know, cause you problems and grief down the road. But, um, yeah, that's kind of the, I think that's the, the easy way out of, of doing, handling login management, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so. Well, it
2: used to be a very convenient way that for, for someone who didn't have their own, an app developer who didn't have their own oh, server. true. Yeah, structure. Uh, but um, you know, I'm not sure that the, in this day and age the benefits outweigh the, the downsides.
1: Yeah, yeah, downside. There are big, huge downsides here. I'm downside. um, just on another another point here. I was uh, listening to uh, Spark. I think last week's episode on my, on the podcast app. Um, this interesting idea that came out of this. I was going to check this out, but uh, this is a, a guy Matt Hogan from uh, CEO of a company called DataCoup or DataCoup, if you pronounce it that way. Um, you know, Cupola, Coppola, whatever. <laughs> Foyer, fo, how do you say foyer? Fo, fo, foyer? Foyer. Yeah, foyer. Yeah, we say foyer up here. So we say data coop. You might say data coop. Uh, anyway, the, the company is is set up. these... Uh, right now, it's just uh, join a mailing list. But the idea behind it is that okay, Google and Twitter and you know whoever else, MySpace, you know whatever, are going to try and they're collecting your data to sell to other people. That's how Facebook, you know, monetizes a lot of its uh, its uh, value, right? Um, so this guy is saying set up a service service where they'll have to pay you a percent like nickels for for your data right you're not going to get like maybe your data is worth 100 bucks to these people well why not give that 100 bucks to you right um so this is an interesting idea on um on how to how to uh monetize your own data what do you think about that
2: Cool idea it's uh do you have details on how it works uh
1: not really i mean this is this what's in the article here he talks about uh um obviously i guess he's gonna they're gonna make it um yeah i don't know what it says what it says here but here let's yeah,
0: I'm curious how this ends up being managed.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, ironically, you have to create an account on this guy's. Uh, yeah, this guy's service too, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he says, I think the analogy is like if you own land and mineral rights to what's under your land, uh, all of a sudden somebody comes along, sticks and sticks in a pipe and starts pipe pumping out oil from your land and profits it and keeps the profits to themselves. Uh, you would never allow that if that was if that was the case. And uh, in fe- you know, so the idea is that you would get you know paid for them pulling those those uh, using your advantage of your mineral, right, mineral rights. That said I don't know if we necessarily own our mineral rights underneath our land but uh, at least here in Canada but uh, I don't know about you guys in the States but yeah but it, that's an analogy where somebody like like suppose somebody decided you know well you weren't using a, a part of your front lawn they decided to grow crops on your front lawn and you know profit from that as an example right so that's the same idea they're going to take your you know your, your the metadata about you and statistically what you do on the internet web and what you buy and and, you know, you know what, what teams you follow and that kind of stuff, right? Um, and if that's the case, and why not make it so that they're um, they're going to have to pay, like not to have to pay, but like give us the opportunity to sell our data to to these big uh, data farms, right? Yeah,
2: and no, I think it's a great idea. I, I don't know how do you how they enforce that, or how they yeah. how they uh, even go about you know getting someone like Facebook to actually pay you. I, I don't know how that works, but yeah. but it's a cool concept.
1: Well, it's interesting because you know when you think about Facebook as an example, and I think I've mentioned this before that you know uh, I. I hear Hear all kinds of people, you know, saying I'm getting off of Facebook and all that kind of stuff. But for me, like, we have long distance familial relationships, right? So we want to share information with family and friends. And Facebook has just become the low bar for, for a lot of our non technical friends uh-huh. to and family members to, to share information with us, right? So um, that's why it's one of the reasons why we use Facebook a lot, right? Ourselves and our family. We, uh, you know, and then you can't really control what your friends and family are doing on the platform. That's the other thing. That are downside of that right no? yep. mm-hmm. oh speaking of Facebook and messenger well, I thought this this is almost follow-up and it's kind of because we talked about you know the the separation of apps when I think you know tw- probably 2014 when we started this thing um, that you know messenger left Facebook right and they they struck out on their own sort of and they're tied in the same login system and all that kind of stuff but if you wanted to if you and I wanted to chat on Facebook we had to go over to the messenger app to do that right and uh, even though in on the desktop version in your browser you can have a chat with somebody uh, right in the browser, but and then I think uh, Swarm left uh, Foursquare, so Foursquare app became because I think they wanted to go a different direction with Foursquare, so they broke out the 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 idea of logging into places, and there was a few other apps like that where they split up um, you know the the different parts of the app into, into their sort of standalone pieces. Well, Facebook Messenger or Messenger is now coming back to Facebook, according to this uh, this article on The Verge, um, which is kind of interesting, um, don't you think?
0: It is really the perfect example of, In the long run, everything is follow up. <laughs> That's nearly, nearly five years ago. I'm, I'm, I thought you were going to say something profound there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is just pointing out why <laughs> every time I say, oh, the WWDC has been announced, oh, let's follow up to last year. We just follow up to the year before. It's right, just right. this, this this unending chain. Um, but a more serious note, I do remember vaguely four and a half years ago from that episode that I think we were comparing the per- relative perception of, of those two situations you talked about, right? Facebook splitting off Messenger from the main app and Foursquare splitting off Swarm from the main app and the perception of the time that Messenger was actually a very solid example of doing the right thing where you have this uh, separate site experience. You have something that's more like iMessages or WhatsApp, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Line, Kakao, those sorts of things. And Swarms splitting off was sort of weird because Foursquare became less about check-ins and became more of an Urban Spoon Zomato sort of clone at that point. And, yeah, oh, yeah. look, I have this completely different app to do check-ins. That's really like that was the main thing I wanted to do. And, and looking back at it here, I'm puzzled because I, I have gotten used to using messenger as a separate thing and and you can use messenger to chat with people who you aren't even directly connected with on facebook it's kind of more its own there's even videos
1: in there and stuff like that too like the oh yeah the
0: stories thing is weird how they bolted that in there And, and they did do a redesign within the last three or so months that radically simplified the like the cacophonous nature of how just messy every little you know everything but the kitchen sink was thrown into messenger it's been simplified more it recently added a dark mode because that's like the hot new thing everybody's doing so I'm, I'm very curious to see if adding messenger back into Facebook is in addition you know to remove that bit of friction of like what the heck I just want to talk with grandma why do I have to install a different app to send a private message to grandma how's a good question why, why should you how have do you to?
1: teach grandma to switch over to the private messenger right
0: yeah and 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 yet there is still a need I think for something like messenger as a chatting style app just like we have you know it's something that is cross-platform for sure right like i iMess- is definitely not. It's great and wonderful when everybody has blue bubbles and it kind of sucks when you have a green bubble in there somewhere and suddenly people aren't seeing the same things that you are. So I don't, I don't really know how I feel about this, if it is a bring it in and kill the Messenger app, or if it's a bring it in to remove the, the friction, but still have Messenger as its own separate and interconnected experience.
1: Well, actually, I'm just reading here, this may actually be a little deeper than we thought. And, and it's a, it's, according, this is from Jane Menchun-Wong, who basically put this um, this point forward. Um, but it looks like uh, Facebook, it says as half a decade later, Facebook, as Facebook prepares to integrate its messaging services across Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp, the functionality also appears to be returning to Facebook itself. So like, yeah, when when you start putting WhatsApp into the equation, I get a little worried, right? Because uh, hasn't that always been sort of ed, like a sketchy kind of approach to building things? But anyway, the idea that, that now Instagram is going to have Messenger in it, you know, I guess WhatsApp's going to, well, WhatsApp already is Messenger, right? Are you Messenger?
0: Yeah. Zuckerberg, within the last month or two, had his grand proclamation that they were going to integrate the messaging infrastructure between all of their portfolio apps. And I guess that's what, what's being referenced to what you're talking about there. Yeah. What do you think, Mark?
2: I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, personally, I, I care zero. <laughs> 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 but, but I wonder what Facebook is going to get out of this. Because uh, they're certainly not doing this, uh, you know, for, or, you know, the good of of the world right They're they're doing it because they think they can make more money somehow uh so maybe they're thinking that this will increase usage of some of the other apps or and maybe they've gotten i mean i guess you know the 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 word is that that although instagram is doing well the main facebook app has been suffering lately uh and maybe this is a way to get people back into using the main app
0: i don't know true true Yeah, yeah i don't know
1: Good merit in your point there, because it's kind of like um, if they, if Messenger itself is successful, it, like people are using it a lot, maybe people have given them feedback saying, I'd, I'd like to be able to use Messenger within Facebook or within Instagram. And uh, maybe this becomes the glue that makes, you know, all the sort of the whole platform usable in that sense, right? Kind of like Microsoft adding the browser to Windows kind of made, you know, because as the Internet grew up in popularity, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you had to use Windows to get on Explorer, that kind of thing, right? You know, kind of makes it all blends it all together yeah by the way i don't know if you saw the i post i think i posted it on our slack but i was digging around on my drive and um I, like I, and i found an old folder i happened to find some some images i was looking for but i as i was looking flipping through the uh the screenshots i had done i actually took a took a screenshot of the day i enrolled in facebook back in 2005 i think or 2006 i think it was right And at the bottom it says a mark zuckerberg pr- production did you see that no. yeah
0: i saw that one
1: <laughs> I maybe i didn't put it in slack i must have put it on on uh, Twitter, if Mark hasn't seen it.
0: Yeah, the, the UI was definitely very classic. It looks a lot like um, the UI that they show on the Social Network movie, you know, like yeah, just yeah, the after blue. the facebook.com was, was no longer a thing, and they removed the word the... Yeah, it's got the dude's
1: face up in the corner. I wonder if that's Mark Zuckerberg. Let me go look at it again. Yeah, I but it was, it, was. Just, it was...
0: Was it? I think so. Like like a Doc Matrix printer version, you
1: know? Maybe, maybe. But but it was, it was interesting that, that uh, just the, the copyright at the very bottom said uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg production, as opposed to the Facebook company I, I, were they public? At the, or I guess they weren't well, public back weren't then. Public but were they were they like a proper? Oh, here it is. Friend uh, the show Mr. Heel replied to it. Yeah, it says copyright twenty six two thousand six Facebook, but Mark Zuckerberg production. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but it is, is. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I, I guess that's what the, that was before the lawsuit, right? <laughs> With the Winklevoss twins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not just him, not just him, but I'm sure also. Uh, didn't he have a, a buddy that was his roommate that was involved in it? to the network, social networking movie, right? If you can believe anything Aaron Sorkin says, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield. <laughs> what was yeah, that? Spider-Man. Yeah. Sandoval, yeah. probably, I think his name was. Eduardo Sandoval? No. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that'll be a fact check for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it, it was Eduardo, right? Yeah, and I think he, so. he moved up to California afterwards and was kind of outed by them, ousted by them. All right. So what's what's up and coming? I mean, what, what do we got next?
0: Yeah, speaking of darkness, um, we have dark mode and multitasking and a whole other set of things that Guillaume Rambo apparently chatted with people familiar with development of the upcoming operating system. There's a blog post here we have in the show notes for those of you driving home on 9to5Mac about uh, it seemingly reconfirming the long-awaited dark mode for iOS uh, 13. And apparently it will also be some changes to uh, multitasking for iPad. And people are calling this all sorts of different names, but I think it's more easily described here as the ability for apps to have multiple windows. So you can have little uh, cards that are sort of attached inside. Some way, shape, or form in the UI. There's no screenshots, so there's all sorts of interpretation as to what that means, but it looks to be something that is adding more power to the iPad representation of apps on iOS, just as we got the more powerful multitasking and as they've evolved that platform. And then there's other sort of smaller things or bigger, I guess, depending how you feel about them, like a unified uh, undo gesture for, um, let's say, like iPad, where you, you wouldn't have to shake the entire thing as you would a phone. That's very handy, but this claims that a three finger tap on the keyboard area and sliding left or Right, we'll undo and redo interactively.
1: Yeah, it's awkward on an iPad Pro 12.9 inch, I can tell you.
0: Okay. <laughs> we just grab this this huge lunch tray and just shake it in the air so I can undo what I did, right? Yeah, Did yeah, you make it like an
1: Etch-a-Sketch where you have to hold it upside down and shake it in the air, like back in the Etch-a-Sketch race days, you know? <laughs> right,
0: right. Um, continue on here, we have uh, Safari, supposedly, will automatically ask for the desktop version of certain websites to get around a common frustration where the mobile version is getting is gimped and broken and then you have to go and you know long press on the little refresh icon and say yes please give me the desktop site because oh is that how you do that i didn't know that yeah and you can reload without content blockers too which is also an occasional occurrence oh let's try that out an unintentional shadow tip of the week apparently yeah. <laughs> there's just so many <laughs> different things you can do with these this is why i think you know as a little side note people have done really well with uh, on twitter with little bite-sized nuggets of like did you know you could do this thing uh, on xcode or mac os or iOS. Same thing with them. Um, Tim, did you have like a pic a while ago that was like 30 second tips on YouTube sort of thing?
1: Yeah, it was a bunch of different things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Like the, the whole how to delete your history and your browser, get rid of all those tabs by holding down the, the button on one of them, I think, and it offers to delete them all. I do that a lot because I end up with thousands of pages open on my iPhone. Not that they cost anything. They don't really seem to affect anything, right? Mm, yeah. Although they must have a preview of each, each, uh, each page somewhere, stored somewhere. But now we have like two hundred fifty six gigs
0: of memory on our, our, our iPhone, so why do we care, right? Exactly. <laughs> we're gonna need all. We're gonna need those gigs to deal with uh, what do we call it the last time the the hot new social network font book. So font management is also gonna be a thing. When I was thirteen, apparently. I'm,
1: oh, is it? Re- oh, on on iOS. Okay. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't know how that will work on iPhone. It does seem a lot more sensible on iPad, where people are doing more productivity type things, and you know, you might have a, a document of some sort or something. yeah, like Pages together.
1: and stuff like that, or any of the word processing things. So we're, we're publishing
0: things, I guess. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to use, you know, Havetica Now that we talked about before, they'll, they'll definitely want to use that. And then there's some other things like mail is going to get smarter to handle different categories. But I think pretty similar to what you've seen on like, Gmail. The thing that confused the heck out of me and I wanted to ask you guys about was this improved multiple item selection for uh, collection views and other things. I'm like, how is this different than what you can currently do with drag and drop?
1: You mean like when you want to pick up three or four things and with your three fingers and with your thumb on your left hand, swipe up from the dock to go choose the other one and with your ring finger, tap on the icon you want to go to and then drag them over and drop them. That kind of convenience? Yeah,
0: I mean what you just described sounds a whole lot like this paragraph in here. And I'm sure <laughs> this is just lost in translation. I was right? making like, that up as I went along. Like, just, I'm sure it will make more sense. It will ooh and ah at you know, the keynote. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's a much better way to do drag and drop. But As described here, I kind of tbd on whether to be excited about this or not because i didn't understand how this is different than than current drag and drop
1: i'm trying to find this paragraph you're talking about is this maybe lower down no where is it
0: yeah this is under the smarter mail section
1: and then like like three paragraphs down new just oh the new gestures rhymes table view collection view (laughs) (laughs) oh and also
0: oh it is pretty much what i just said (laughs) you're not left out if you're on the mac because you're going to get a new volume hud that is going to be less obtrusive than the current one so while you're watching a video game of thrones perhaps you will not be having to wait around <laughs> and pause the dang video to see the volume thing go away from the center of the screen. It will be somewhere else. So I would guess. This, maybe this is not
2: something that you can do right now. If I if I understand it correctly, it's saying that with a with a new kind of gesture, you'll be able to drag over multiple items and select them all. Right.
0: So yeah. oh, I see. I see. Like as if you were using on. like a mouse pointer.
2: Yeah. So it, it, see the last line. Similar to clicking and dragging in finder on the Mac. So that,
1: yeah, we that we make a marquee, cool. right? We make a marquee. Here we hold the command key down or
0: shift key down, right? Exactly. To select yeah. multiple yeah. things.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like sounds like you'll be able to do something like
0: that on the iPad. I see. Okay. That was the that was the key phrase that missed my attention. So mm-hmm. well, let me ask you a question. Let's go around the table here for really quickly. Right, Jaime. Do you use drag and drop? i use drag? Oh, I believe I use drag and drop within the Overcast app because I think that's how it's implemented to rearrange um, playlists. Okay. I've never even tried that. How about you, Mark?
2: On the Mac, I do.
1: I meant on the iPad.
2: <laughs> I do not. So,
1: uh, no. Yeah. I. I rarely use it. I, 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 only when I remember it's there. Like, it's not one of those, it's kind of like those, like all these tips and tricks we're talking about. They're just not obvious, right? I wonder if the, the regular daily users have figured all this stuff out. Because If there's a long way to, if the problem with, with all of iOS and, and Mac and is there's always more than one way to do something, right? Like, you can copy it to memory and then paste it in later and, you know, I, I tend to use copy and paste a lot online as opposed to dragging and dropping, mm-hmm. which I probably should do. Especially on the phone. I think if they had a drag and drop to the phone that would be cool although i don't know how you how many fingers how you could get like all 10 fingers on the screen to do what they need to do right mm.
0: <laughs> just holding the thing like a flute or an ocarina
1: <laughs> i was oh, like
0: yeah, put it on the table you need to
1: you'd be like doing an operation game you know try don't touch the side so the buzz will go off right
0: all i want to do is get the dang menu options into an email so i can let my yeah. co-workers know where do you want to go for lunch on friday yeah true true
1: yeah well we'll have to wait and see this is only a few uh, few weeks away from uh, where we are we're April. We want like a a little bit over a month until we get to uh, the big reveal right on the 3rd of June. it would be exciting. All right. That's cool. Um, yeah, so um, Apple's uh, taking Astropad's uh,
0: thunder away. What do they got for us, Jaime? They've got the dark side of the moon here uh, for the folks at Luna Display and that would be apparently from macOS 10. I thought you'd make a
1: Sherlock's reference like, you know, the bath- Hounds of the Bastervilles or...
0: I guess that did take place at night predominantly, right, Or yeah. the Hounds piece. So that, that, that makes sense. There's also the one about the falls. I forget what that one was. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're talking about here is that, um, again, coming from Gear Rambo on 9to5Mac, uh, they claim here that Apple is going to add a ability to seamlessly use iPads as a, an extension of your Mac display. R- very similar to Astro's, uh, Astro HQ's, Luna Display, and, and what did you call the other one? What was the competitor?
1: Uh, it was uh, Duet. Duet, right. Duet does it with a USB cable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this, this apparently is called uh, sidecar internally, uh, no word if that would be the the official feature, but it would be something that would be very simple to open and be able to use the Apple Pencil as uh, like as if you're turning your iPad into a little Wacom tablet. Mm-hmm. I think that would be pretty neat. Uh, I mean, I feel sorry for the folks who do Duet and Luna Display, like it, it's never fun to be Sherlock up shore, but uh, this does seem like a real nice user experience enhancement for folks.
1: Yeah, if I could just have one second to complain about Luna Display, I really do like, to, especially last week when I when I when I was. My Mac was sort of out of commission. I had, I used my Luna display a few times in that situation. I've just plugged it into the Thunderbolt port on. I have both the Thunderbolt and a USB C because so someday I'm going to buy a USB C based Mac. I don't know why we're never going to get around to that. But so I, I've used the Luna display here on my Mac. And so I like to, I don't like to, I don't want to have a second screen. That's, that seems to be the default way to use a Luna display. I want to basically have, sit on the couch and use my, my iPad with the keyboard that I bought for it and use it as the main main window so I can just, you know, be comfortable working away from the Mac um, but for some reason it doesn't every time the, the app goes to sleep it forgets that that's my preference and I have to keep going back to the to the uh, the displays uh, system pane in in system preferences and t- set it to, to mirror displays again over and over again I don't know if it's something to do with they can't you know, write to the, write to the preference or something like that, maybe that's what it is but uh, it just isn't, like, you know how you set up a monitor on an external monitor on your Mac and whether you unplug and come back to it later on it remembers that particular monitor likes to be set up this way you know Uh, because I do that at work all the time we have we have we move around from desk to desk and I know Mark you have a you have a a second display at the office right and you know what I mean about how it remembers your preference right Uh Luna display just goes reverts back to default every time you maybe it's you know lack of memory in the thing or something like that I'm not sure but it or how I don't know how maybe it doesn't doesn't really sort of of make a direct connection, but yeah, every time every time the iPad goes to sleep, I have to go back in and change the settings again. So it's kind of annoying. Sounds like a bug. Could be, could be. I don't know. We're waiting for waiter for a couple of updates, but uh, yeah, I could I could contact the guy and let him know, but uh, or ask him. Yeah, I mean the other one, AstroPad, which is the other option where you you open up an app on your Mac and you open up an app on your iPad, and you don't need the hardware. Um, you can you know, so I can sometimes if I'm doing something in Photoshop and I want to use my Apple Pencil, I'll do that. I'll, I'll hook up the two displays and I'll use the Apple Pencil. On the iPad, but I'm actually creating the Photoshop work on the Mac itself, right? And I'm just seeing what's on the Mac through the it's like a virtual display. That's my rant about Luna Display, and it sucks that that Apple would be coming out with this so soon after they just launched this thing, right? You know, like the, we've only had Luna Display not even six
0: months. Is that right? I feel like you've been. Oh, well, maybe it's Duet. You've been. I've. No, I've been about using so AstroPad longer. for a
1: while. I, I had. I have Duet. I, I used to, Duet. Never really sold me because you know you're still tethered with a USB cable, right? Whereas AstroPad, you plug in, or sorry, Luna Display, you plug in the hardware device into either a USB C or a Thunderbolt port, and then it, it magically finds its way over to your your iPad. So you, you can have you can have your iPad like in the picture that's the screen they have here. You know, you're still using the Apple the the sorry the, the MacBook itself. And you're using Luna Display as a second display, maybe for your tools, or for, like you would you would use a second display. But um, the the other advantage of you know, Luna Display is you can use the you know the desktop mirroring and have it you know so you have a dock and all other kind of stuff on pretty much on the iPad, right? So it's just another window on the iPad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but AstroPad, AstroPad, sorry, AstroPad Studio, which is the one I have. That's the one you have to buy a subscription for. Um, that one you have gestures that come with the iPad. The only difference with that one is you don't have a keyboard, which is kind of an so you can't, you know, key stuff in on the... Oh, can you bring up the iPad keyboard? I think, no, I think on that one you can bring up the iPad keyboard and, and key things in, but yeah. That one seems to be a little bit smoother than using Luna Display. But I mean, Luna Display is just a magic, right? Like, don't get me wrong. It's it's just cool to,
0: to be able to have it and play with it, right? I haven't tried it, but I, I think I've heard both you and Tammy talking about these sorts of things. So it has me interested, and I think for the low, low price of free, uh, it's really sad, <laughs> but I, I think I'll be more apt to jump on this when we see the new versions of Mac OS and IOS.
1: Yeah, what I'm saying is sad about the, the for the AstroPad people is that uh, AstroPad's the name of the company, I think. Um, they no, actually, is it? Um, they've gone to great lengths. Yeah, Astro Astro HQ is the name of the company. Um, but yeah, they've gone to great lengths to make this little piece of hardware. It runs really cool, and it comes in a nice little box, and you know, it's like a ring box almost size, right? And it's just a couple of chips, I guess, sitting a little tiny board sitting on a, on a Thunderbolt port. And it works like magic. So I wonder. I wonder how successful Apple. Maybe it'll be like the um, Air Power. They just won't ship it because it won't work. Because <laughs> AstroPad, the AstroPad, or sorry, the uh, Luna display kicks in and uses the GPU on the Mac to to help um, render the image right on the iPad. Yeah, it's amazing these days that we can do this kind of stuff wirelessly too. When you think about it, you know, I think we expect it, but it's still amazing. Don't what, what, you think, Mark?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: All right. Anything else you want to say about this uh, sidecar, as they're calling it?
0: No, I think we're. I think we're good. We buried it.
1: All right. So this is a this is sort of could even be follow up. Chezare, uh, Roki and and myself we you know we hang out together on different channels and I follow his Pod Rover. He started a business called Pod Rover, which is a, a, a service for podcasters to um, you know get ratings and stuff like that. Stuff that's hard to follow, and, and he just kind of con- consolidates all that kind of stuff in. But uh, so he follows the podcasting world too. And and uh, this company called Megaphone, they're similar to Fireside, I believe they're. they're they're. They're a a publishing platform for podcasters. So they've collected uh, statistics from uh, the use of their podcasters, you know, who are on their platform. And they've found surprisingly that the, since Apple added the ability to listen to podcasts or stream podcasts to your watch, that a surprisingly large number of people are using their podcast. They're using the watch for podcast listening. Um, Yeah. So they said in the fall, 28 uh, Apple watch users gained the ability to, to, uh, to do this. And so, interesting stats like time of day, you know, um, when they do it. And it's more popular in rural uh, U.S. than it is in, in the main main, main places, and they're not sure why that is. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at the stats in this one article. Time of day, like it's early morning or, or 9, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night is when the the peaks for uh, when apps are... So the thing about it is you have to have your watch within proximity of your phone to be able to uh, stream, right? But if you look at the stats that they've got here in in this this purple map, this color, USA map, um, you know, it's sort of opposite to what we see in terms of what downloads we get on our own podcasts. We tend to be California, you know, Oregon, uh, New York, Tennessee. Oh, but but
2: don't misinterpret the data. I mean, the the chart Mm -hmm. isn't showing that there's more downloads in Louisiana. It's just showing Mm -hmm. that in Louisiana, people are... are Yeah, I mean, using the watch, though, right? Using the watch. So it could very well be that the... the,
1: Oh, it's still five guys or whatever.
2: Yeah, it could... be, there will be the statistics are so small in those places right. that it's the the you know the watch numbers are you know look high, but it might just be because as you said there's only four people doing it. Who
1: knows? Right, right. And there's the four guys that own the watch own a watch in the state. Right. Yeah, yeah. You can see it a little further down. Like this was, this is kind of this is the kind of um, color display I expect to see on the map. Like it, for us, you know, we're, we're we have a lot of listeners in California. Hello, California. You know, a fair amount in, ten, in Texas and New York State, Tennessee for. some Reason you know, in our particular case, but you see that how the color on the two see the two maps side by side, it seems to be quite different in terms of usage, right? If my mind you they're comparing percentage to millions, though, right?
0: Yeah, it really depends, yeah. on the numbers here. And they, they do have the caveat in, in their text, um, with regards to I'm trying to figure out if they're breaking out downloads versus streaming because it would sort of make sense that you would have things like as they note here, uh, downloads mm-hmm. like ridiculously peak at the end of the day, so after 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they're surmising there that that's when people are putting their phones on the chargers and, and their watches on the chargers. And this is the oh, time that, okay, right. that things wake up to go, go download stuff. Um, hmm. It also seems to kind of make sense that you would uh, perhaps download some stuff in case you are out of the range of streaming. Um, or that you might be doing True. a task base, as they mentioned here, for like 7 a.m. is the peak here. Just before work, people are getting up and ready to get a workout and then head back to the office.
1: But is that people doing that or podcast apps doing that? Because I'm just thinking about this myself. Um, no, yes. Yeah, so, some, Like, I'll be listening to the podcast, but sometimes I'll be in the subway where there is no cell signal. And, you know, because I, I've because i already downloaded the... the Because my app will have already downloaded a number of episodes that I have on my playlist. Like, I listen to Overcast, right? Um, I don't have to worry about not having a signal in the subway, right? It's all like a seamless experience for me, right?
0: Yeah, and there is some sort of schedule for those. Um, like, there's some schedule in which the app is asking for latest updates from, let's say, something like Overcast, right? Overcast servers. And then who knows how often... Overcast servers, it, it does seem to be in some regular basis from what I can tell. Somewhere between, I want to say, 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. Pacific time is when I'll see a huge spike in the number of downloads for podcasts mm-hmm. from Overcast in this case. And and so I do think that, that would end up skewing the stats if they were tracking that coming from me, for example. True,
1: I, think, I just think it's surprising that, I mean, the story for me is that it's the watch, right? That people are using. Like, people are using the watch for other things and things other than notifications or you know starting and stopping Workouts and things like that, right?
0: Yeah. And it makes sense, right? Like, if if you're given more avenues and easy opportunities to do things, it it kind of makes sense that people would would take advantage of those. And the area where something like a watch and, you know, something like AirPods would make a whole lot of sense is oh, you want to go out on the trail and run for five miles before um, getting into the office. And if you don't want to bring your iPhone and, you know, you either have a, a LTE based watch or you have downloaded podcast content to your watch, you can still enjoy there. So that's that 100% makes sense to me. Whereas before, you'd been like, eh, well, I'll take something else. I'll listen to something else, or I'll just go without music or something.
1: Yeah. Again, we're not big podcast, po- AirPod users, so we really don't know either, right? A fascinating AirPod friends. Yeah.
0: It seems like people love them. I'm rather bummed that they don't work out for my physiology. Otherwise, <laughs> I would probably have them too. Yeah.
1: Well, you can get, I don't know if you heard uh, Mark posted the thing about the, the new Beats ones or uh, have a different, different kind of uh, connection to your head. Form factor. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more money but same idea. Do they have a cable connected to the two of them, or they are independent pieces? I forget what they were. They clip on your ear, right?
2: Yeah, they clip on your
0: ear. Yeah. yeah.
1: A lot of people, I see a lot of people at the office, and a lot of people, I mean, other than the AirPod people, people have those, uh, the Bluetooth ones that they wear around their neck, where they've got a cable that connects the two. I don't know if the cable is just there to keep them from getting lost, or whatever, right? So, because I think they have uh, the the, the Bluetooth chip in in both ears now, right? They've made them small enough. Anyway, that's cool. All right, so I guess we can move to our picks now. Yes. Sounds good. Yeah, so coming back to that spark uh, episode i was talking about earlier they were uh, talking about and talking to uh, a photographer named what's his name now he's got the name of a famous la coach for hockey because i got confused when i was trying to look for him bob mcclellan um has been taking apart his toys for a long time like many of us do um like in the picture they've got here an amazon echo taken apart Jaime, which you might be interested in um yeah so he takes it takes these things apart and uh you know lays them out in sort of uh, interesting um formats and then takes pictures of them and he's published books of them. He's taken apart a Mac book. He's taken apart, uh, you know, like desktop Mac, like a, the old style desktop classic, um, and keyboard and all that kind of stuff. He's taken apart bicycles and uh, typewriters and that kind of stuff and laid them all out and, and uh, taking pictures of them. And he also spoke on the same, uh, episode to the, the guy who's behind the, uh, um, uh, i fix it site uh what's his name and we talked about the right to repair for right but it's just interesting interesting pictures here if you're interested in seeing what an exploded view of all the bits and pieces that go into making up your devices he's taken apart like there's a sony camera here on the on the posting that I've got but there, he publishes them into a book called um what is the book called things come apart and he's just done a second uh, version uh, things come apart 2.0 a teardown of manual for modern living um and yeah so uh, just kind of cool stuff i don't know if you've seen if you google you probably see a lot of these shots, you know, re- repurposed on Instagram and Pinterest and that kind of stuff. That's where I think I've seen these before, but uh, interesting to see the guy behind uh, behind doing these. And I, and I just, I noticed when I was looking at doing research on earlier today, there are people who are taking cars apart and doing the same sort of thing, right? Where they make these uh, interesting shots of all the bits and pieces that go into making up your stuff. And, you know, so it was interesting because he was also, uh, Nora Young, who's the host of the show, was also commenting or asking him about, you know, how difficult it is to take things apart and put them back together and that kind of stuff so uh, and you know how like some things like in you know Apple devices they're, they're so thin that they sometimes use tape to hold things in place because they're so small and thin and light that's cool my first pick and the, the two links I have here are just uh, they're related to the books on Amazon so oh hi,
0: well before I go to my pick I will note here because they have component counts that the Amazon Echo 2014 edition has a component count of 50 and the air straighteners from 1989 have a component Component count of ninety one. So mm-hmm. the magic of uh, integrated circuitry, I would assume, for that. I mean, some of these are like I don't know resistors and stuff that are getting pulled off of uh, tiny little PCB uh, boards. But I thought that was pretty fascinating. I would never have guessed that there were that many little pieces and components inside something as relatively straightforward as uh hair straighteners
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's also got a behind the scenes video here called "This Disassembly Behind the Scenes." Yeah. Cool stuff. All right. Have pick pick for you?
0: Yeah. This is a fun little article. It's timely because as of this recording folks have seen the first episode of the final season of game of thrones mm-hmm. um and it is worth noting 100 percent that uh you should not visit this <laughs> link if you are afraid of spoilers i would say either uh, for people who don't care about spoilers or for people who cannot be spoiled because they are all caught up to date with game of thrones yeah this is an article entitled uh, how to learn prologue by watching game of thrones and uh, it talks about prologue the logic programming language which uses rules and relationships to form facts or sorry it determines rules and relationships based upon facts Mm -hmm. Uh, something that people have used for a long time for like expert type systems so in this case they take the sort of interesting and intricate uh family tree and house relationships from game of characters at game of thrones and then shows like how you can build up from very basic things like uh, ned stark is the parent of Arya stark caitlin stark is the parent of Arya stark and then and go on to figure out like sibling relationships and establish those. And it's kind of a neat little um, mini tutorial on how something that's so different in terms of programming languages like a prologue is. Uh, it, it's certainly wildly different from something like Objective-C or Swift. So if you're interested in trying out something a little bit um, on, I wouldn't say on the fringe, but certainly not in the main mainstream, I think check this out. Mm-hmm. It even goes into printing and formatting, which I remember being kind of a hassle prologue. And I never did arithmetic. It was It was all about lists, people. Ultimately, somewhere, it was list-based processing. What do you mean you never did arithmetic? I don't remember. I, I didn't use Prologue very much in uh, oh, university. Oh, mean... Okay. So I didn't do, like, uh, you know, calculating percentages uh, of how how complete a particular list is. I don't want to spoil the list for those who are not up to date with Game of Thrones.
1: hmm mm-hmm. right. I have a shadow pick, too. It's actually a pick I put into, um, into the Spotcast show notes for tomorrow. But um, there's a TEDx talk called um, how... Basically... Game of Thrones was based on the War of the Roses, the Wars of the Roses, and it breaks down the whole, you know, um, lineage that there was a King Edward something or other, one of the Roman numerally numbers, Ed- Edwards I think it was, he died after his uh, son, and so the heir to the throne was the son's Infant child, right, or young child, and of course there were these brothers that the that were had felt that they were in line for the throne, and so they split off in different factions. And it kind of it parallels the Lang- the Lancasters parallels the Lannisters, and there's like a character like Cersei, and there's a character like you know um, sorry Joffrey, um, you know there's, char- there's a character in the, an actual I mean a living person who's like Ned Stark in the story, and it, it's an interesting video. It's like maybe two three minutes long, but goes through the whole of the Wars of the Roses and kind of parallels how they work with, uh, there's even like a, a guy, a male character that's, that sort of shadows Daenerys, you know, being being raised, you know, in exile and coming back to claim the throne and so on and so forth. And how these, the family split into these, the reason it's called War of the Roses is because there's a red rose and a white rose. The family kind of split up and, and went down different lines and um, it all comes back together. It was basically, it took a hundred years for these, these wars to sort of take place and it's very, very similar how it parallels to the game of thrones like even even the the ned stark guy ends up on a pike after getting his head cut off in a battle right yeah so it's kind of cool if you're interested in
0: game of thrones and where it came from check that out
1: that's it all right well i guess that's it for another week so until next time hi if people want to find you where they look for you on the internet
0: i'm on twitter is at dev with the
1: hair and mark if people want to get in touch with you
2: mark r at smapsoft.com
1: my name is timitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine and that's the best way to get a hold of me so till next time we'll say bye-bye. bye bye Goodbye. bye 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 if you want to find
2: out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm you can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on twitter at mtjc_podcast. podcast If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: So, how was Kansas? It was a really good
2: show, actually. They played for like really? two and a half oh. hours straight. Huh. Yeah.
1: The- they do all the like Magnus Opus and Carry On and all that stuff. But, the
2: yeah, one. they did Carry On. They did the whole Point of No Return album straight through.
1: Which is, is that the first one that sort of hit? No. Um, that was one with Dust in the Wind. Oh, uh, uh, which one's Magnus Opus on? Is that that one?
2: Uh, no. Maybe that's on Left Overture, maybe? I'm not 100%. Yeah. Sure. I
1: think, I think, uh, yeah. I used to like that song. It was Howling Like a Moon or Howling at the Moon. How did the singer sound? Did he sound anything like, uh,
2: uh, yeah, he sounded pretty good, actually. Did, yeah.
1: Do you sound like the guy? What's his name? For his name now,
2: um, Steve Walsh was that his name? Something Steve like, Walsh. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. His,
1: I think his brother was a drummer or something.
2: uh it wasn't his brother, but the drummer was the original drummer and, and the guitarist was the original guitarist.
1: Okay. Um, there were actually three guitars, I think, in that band.
2: Well, they yeah, they came and went, yeah. I think there were only <laughs> usually two at a time, but the right. but the violin player would sometimes play guitar.
1: Right, so, right. Maybe yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I guess he was still Steve Morse
2: right? was the guitarist for a little while. Oh, really? um, Kenny uh Rivkin was kind of the original other guitarist. I think that's his mm-hmm. name, something like that. Hmm. Yeah,
1: it's been a long time. Nineteen seventy eight, I think, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So Kenny Rookin was the the one who was born again, and eventually they kicked him out of the band because he didn't fit. Oh, yeah. How many albums did they have? I don't know, ten or a dozen, maybe. Really? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. I only know like three. The very first one, which I never bought, and then I never bought. I don't think I ever, ever bought any of their stuff. I just for except for carry on, and maybe bought that as a forty five. But yeah. that was how we got our single songs back in the days, kids. We bought forty fives before there was uh, before there were MP3s. Yeah, the first forty five I ever bought was uh, Roundabout by Yes. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Can't remember what, what mine was.
1: And ironically, I'm on a podcast called Roundabout now. <laughs> how about that? How about that? It's, I don't think. Even knows that song. So what can I say? I'm sure she's heard it a thousand times. Looking but,
2: yeah. at the Wikipedia page to see. Oh, Kerry Livgren—that was his name. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. uh, and he's not in the band anymore. Or he's back in the band?
2: No, no, he's he's been gone for a long time since the late '70s.
1: Yeah, wasn't there another Walsh? Because those two guys went and they did um, right, uh, Steve Hackett's second album. Uh,
2: no. So the original band was Phil Ehart was the drummer. Dave
1: Ehart. E. Okay. Oh no. Okay. So Phil Ehart and and Steve Walsh did. Part parts of uh, steve hackett's second album oh, please don't too touch big, yeah.
2: yeah robbie steinhardt was the violinist
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, rich williams was the uh, rhythm and lead guitar in the original incantation mm-hmm. and, and he's still in it he's one of the only ones who's still left there, left mm-hmm. and uh, and of course steve walsh so the
1: current are they from kansas or do they just call themselves that they're from kansas yeah really you can't call
2: yeah. yourself a state <laughs> as a band unless you're actually from there oh i'm sure you could it's like the band boston it's not like they're from detroit
1: that's true that's true well the, the band boston's actually uh, what's his name just the one guy yeah um,
2: um what's his yeah uh
1: what, i can't remember name man. either yeah. Man. yeah yeah him him that guy mit grad was he yeah yeah because yeah. Yeah. yeah apparently he he did that whole uh what was it um what's that thing he made that everybody wanted to get and sound like boston rock man oh right and so you plug
2: a guitar into and
1: and you can yeah. play it and then headphones. they had the bass man and yeah they yeah. And back in the like i guess 80s and 90s that was pretty pretty popular mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. popular toy yeah anyway, probably a collector's item now yeah
2: so it looks like like They have let me see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, more than just 11, code 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 studio albums.
1: Mm-hmm. Quite a few, yeah, yeah. So, the saga of the t shirts continues,
2: yeah. What's I saw you know, <laughs> it
1: so? That? So, one of the things that they reinstated my t shirt on Teespring, right? Yeah. They reinstated the, the 2019 version, right? And because they claimed that it was there was an IP violation, right? And I'm like, well, I designed it, so I hold. I own the IP to it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so then they said, and I said, well, it doesn't show up in, we have a little storefront page where you can pick through all of, all of our past, past and present shirts, right? And, and I couldn't add this one for some reason, like their database wasn't allowing me to add this, uh, or their API, was doesn't allow me to add this t-shirt to the to storefront. So I contacted them again and they sort of said, well, the simple solution is just to duplicate that particular shirt, like go into their interface and duplicate it. And, and then you'll be able to add it as a, to the storefront. And I went, okay, Okay, cool and so I, a week or two passed by it's taken me some time obviously been trying to recover my computer blah 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 I, left, I was busy with other things they finally got around to duplicating the shirt last weekend and within two minutes they took the new shirt down huh. and said it was an IP violation blah, blah 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 so I contacted them I said look this is getting ridiculous what is the story with you people and meanwhile I, you know, I had been referred to the Cotton Bureau by a number of people and um, so uh, I tried to get our pins done through the Cotton Bureau because they were recommended to us for doing pins, right, and because um, they've done them for other podcasts, right, and so I, I, designed, I took one of the shirt designs that we had a previous one just for the sake of science. So I went in, created, you know, made an account. In fact, I'd created an account before, and I submitted the shirt as an example of what we wanted to print. And there was no way to do the front and back. And then sort of sent them a question saying, "Can I? We will, We also would like to print on the back as well because we want to put the website and stuff like that on there." And it um, took three, two or three days. And like, thank you very much. Your your t shirt will be reviewed, and, and we'll get back to you. And so I'm like. Okay, that's kind of weird. And then I got this real short, short, and not quite sweet, like pretty blunt re- reply from them, saying, "Sorry, this, you know, we don't think we're going to carry this shirt." I'm like, "What?" You know? And uh, and I sort of said, "Well, this is for our fans. This is not like we're not planning on selling this to the world. We're not planning on becoming millionaires selling this design. We just want to get a shirt made that our people can, our fans can order, right?" Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, "Well, really sorry, blah 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 blah. Sorry about the shorthand." And I'm just like, "Okay, whatever," you know? Like you're. you're did he say what people was wrong who, with it? No, it's just they like to decide. They decide what shirts get chosen. But yeah, it was like, like he, you know, it wasn't up to their standards. I'm like, well, you know, we didn't design the the, the the logo for your standards. We designed it for you know to as our brand and for our our fans, right? Kind of annoying. And anyway, so yeah, so I can't. And I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the Teespring people to reinstate the the other shirt that we uh, that we did, right? But uh, yeah, so here's this reply. Let's see. Yeah, apologize for the Kurt. Kurt reply, Cotton Bureau is a highly curated merch platform. We originally meant for graphic designers and illustrators, which by the way, I am one of. <laughs> Unlike other t-shirt services out there, we don't just let anyone make t-shirts or anything in order to keep the design, whatever, 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 right? We've made shirts for dozens of tech podcasts, big and small, but the shirt designs themselves have always have to pass muster, and the hosts who work with us understand this fact. That I don't, you know, again, not telling us what is wrong with our shirt, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a logo and a, and a slogan, you know? Like whatever slogan we decide for the year, right? Anyway, super frustrating. So, you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I started out as a screen printer back in back in the early days. I could screen print in my sleep, and I probably do. And uh, so, I'm thinking, you know, the money I spent last year on T-shirts, getting them made by the people down the street, I could just as easily go buy a, a, a screen printing press, make my make my own shirts, and print them myself. You know, and that way, you know, then then I know I've, you know, I don't have to worry about like reordering or whatever. I just have to buy the the blank shirt and print them up as people need them or want them right so just I just I don't get it like why why did why do people make things so difficult you know like this is this is like push for pizza it's not a push for t-shirt you know it's not rocket science right
2: <laughs> yeah it's kind of weird and they're you know they're making money on every shirt that they ship right
1: yeah and, and you know it's like it's like oh uh, we're in business but we don't want to be in business you know like I, just, I don't understand their model like I, you know I don't know maybe they're they're making up you know funny shirts and people are downloading them like galore or whatever but you know and I can't find the I can't find a reputable online. Teespring was 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 relatively easy. We you know we probably sold a handful of shirts through them. But the only ones we've ever actually gotten any traction were, were the ones I went down and printed off like you know thirty shirts or whatever, and then you know you and I and, and we hand them out and we sell a few and mm-hmm. we lose money on them like everything else we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So mm. I might as well just go and get you know blanks and you know so you know set up a press here beside the microphone and you know as we're doing our
0: podcast I can print shirts. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a handmade or to. Just- t-shirts where Mr. Tim Mitra each one lovingly um, not only handcrafted. handcrafted but I can number the, them even you know with a like certificate of authenticity of signed by Mr. Mitra exam. himself
1: that's right right so get your roll up get your shirt get your shirt
0: on the t- facts, like today about the slogan. Yeah, I think Just, I was missing something. I didn't understand the. the I question. had three
1: ideas, and of course, I'm in the middle of trying to do my my job, and so I, I couldn't remember what the third one I came up with was. But what do you think about those two? I'm driving at home or driving at home.
2: I, I kind of think they're a little too obscure. I mean, we know the joke, but
1: oh, okay, I don't know. Well, why wouldn't it? Why would <laughs> that is the, the danger? And it is. It is. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to get these vetted by anybody. I'm going to print them myself. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I mean. It, it would be an interesting test to be like you know for those of you driving at home or something, and then see if like oh no we can't do it. I was like what really who whose is that whose IP is that show us <laughs> yeah yeah well we could put, we could
1: put up another Twitter poll like we did last time for when when Jaime was it, you were going to England and we're deciding which
0: shirt you should wear for the for your talk oh right right <laughs> put one <laughs> up and see what would let let the people vote democratically yeah and thing. you went rogue and you wore the OG shirt right well I mean I had pre decided which shirts I was bringing and I think the one that one the the keyline, I want to say, I didn't even have with me. So even oh, if I really? wanted, even if I wanted to um, to, to deal with the uh, non-binding referendum here, there was no way for me to practically handle it. Okay, okay.
1: So, but you had that shirt to give away, though. That's what you, you gave to our, our friend there.
0: I had the um, yeah, I did have a key line. That's right. I think I have. I think I might have one of those left.
1: I know I have the uh, the WWDC ones, a few few odd sizes, but yeah. I mean, there are, people have been happy to get
0: them over the while. You know, loved and cherished, and almost certainly not. Not being used as like dish rags or oil rags. <laughs> They're doing, repairing their cars. I mean, these people are driving at home, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work that goes into that. <laughs> Change it of oil and oil with these pounds. shirts on. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whatever.
1: Whatever. All right. The reason why I said next time is next week and Wednesday, I'm in Hawaii. Mm. Then the week after on Wednesday, I'm in Hawaii. Different island. Mm hmm. We went to a dietitian. Yeah, I've never been. Oh, you'll like it. Yeah. Have you been? Yeah, I've been a couple times. Yeah. So, question I have though, when I'm looking at the weather. It's kind of San Francisco y kind of temperatures, but is it like is it tropical or like what's what's the deal there? Like
2: it is tropical. I'm sort of surprised to hear you say it's that. Oh, cool, actually, I would have thought it would
1: be. Well, awesome. I'm I'm looking at the you know I'm looking at my apps and seeing what what the temperature is there, right?
2: Yeah. Well, which island are you going to?
0: Uh, hang on, I getting my iPad out. What's right now, it is. 6.04 p.m., so it looks like they're three hours behind Pacific. Oh, really? And in Honolulu, it is 77 degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. which is 25. That's not bad. That's
1: not bad. because yeah. yeah. no, I guess the numbers I've been looking at the last couple of weeks have been... Yeah, I just wondered, like, is it, like, shorts and t-shirt, or... Yeah. Like, they, were saying, they were saying if you go up into the mountains or whatever, you'll need a jacket and... Oh
2: Well, yeah, if you go to the big island or... and, and go up to the top of the... Of, go up to the observatory up there, it'll probably be snowing.
1: Oh, really? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. But in Honolulu, Honolulu, it's, yeah, shorts and shirt belts. Or Maui.
0: Yeah, let me see. I've got uh, something in my notes here. So the extended forecast on AccuWeather for the next several weeks shows a high mid to high 80s, and then lows in the mid mid 60s to mid 70s.
1: Okay, so we're going to Kauai. Oh, nice. First, that, so we're going there. Right, we're flying to Vancouver, and then we're going to to there. We're landing in the Lihue Luh- Airport. Are you going and for then, like a wedding or something like that? No. Well, uh, apparently, um, it, um. David's mother-in-law is um, Sri Lankan, and there's there's some sort of Mecca um, Hindu temples or something they want to go to. Okay. So we're going there for uh, from Sunday to Friday, and then Friday we're hopping over to Maui. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where we're staying in Maui, but and then we're coming home from Maui. I guess is there an airport there? There is. Yeah. You know, Kul- Kulahui, whatever. They're so
2: not going to yeah. Oahu at all to Honolulu. Oh, that's too bad because there's interesting stuff to see there. Although, yeah that's, crowd, the main, and, yeah. yeah, that's
1: the Yeah, that's where the the capital is and that stuff, right? Right,
2: but there's Pearl Harbor. Harbor and there's diamond head and stuff like that
1: yeah yeah so um just in terms of uh in terms of size i mean like what's what's this i don't know if you've ever been to azores or whatever but or dominican or cuba
2: much smaller than cuba yeah uh, probably bigger than the azores
1: mm. yeah because the first island we're going to Kauai, doesn't look that big but Kauai is small yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so the, big,
2: have... the biggest population is oahu uh probably maui is second although i don't know that for sure mm-hmm. and Kauai is one of the smaller ones
1: oh there's diamond Head. where is diamond head oh state monument
2: yeah Diamond Head is kind of a uh, uh, it was it was a volcano at one point, but you know millions of years ago. So there's just kind of the rim of the volcano is kind of like a, a, a you know it, it's it's sort of like a, it's you know it's a mountain with a big hole in the middle that you can hike up. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Huh. And it's right by Waikiki Beach, so it's it's very visible. If you if you remember the old Hawaii Five O TV show when the, yeah. that opening scene of Waikiki Beach and kind of oh, to the right, yeah. you see the little mountain there. That's Diamond.
1: Oh, have
0: to go back and watch that again. <coughs> looking Sorry, at yeah. true size.com and putting the entire state of hawaii <laughs> yeah distance wise the entire state looks like it's roughly the distance from toronto to quebec city like oh, an from, idea from the two islands you mean um I, I guess all the islands i don't know what outline it gave me let me see uh one there are several islands of hawaii oh my gosh it's zooming in way too fast what's it called uh thetruesize.com so this includes oahu it's it's the entire state of hawaii all the islands that comprise hawaii and granted they're not like there are significant gaps between some of them so what do you do you just how do you put one thing over another so there's a um there's a little search box up top oh, okay it says yeah. a true size of, would just like type in hawaii or something and then just drag around and apparently this candles the uh the distortion that you would normally have from map projections mm-hmm. i don't know if there's a way to rotate this but it's kind of eyeballed and said yeah if i were to rotate this like 45 degrees it'd probably be toronto to quebec city from edge to edge.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like Toronto to Sudbury, too. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Quebec City. Yeah,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then comparing to Cuba, like it's it's noticeably smaller uh, lengthwise than Cuba. And because so much of that area that I'm talking about is just open water, it's definitely a lot smaller than Cuba, landmass wise.
1: Yeah, Quebec City is kind of a seven, eight hour drive from Toronto if you drive straight through. No stopping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's uh, almost as, it's bigger than New Brunswick, longer than the New Brun, Brunswick. Let's see if I go from New York to, I can go from New York to maine right almost the size of uh no it's not quite as big as florida but it's it's bigger than rhode island i take it right isn't rhode
0: island the smallest state in the yeah probably 13 colonies
1: interesting stuff
0: oh that's i didn't even think about this was really well-timed vacation for you then because the last episode of discovery is tomorrow yeah i didn't plan it that way oh okay i thought it was like oh man he mapped out like precisely how many episodes there'd be
1: no and then no this was this was actually planned by another family member not by me and the um yeah i'm just i'm just a traveler in this one um but uh uh, we also have game of thrones starting so i'm gonna miss you know unless i can stream it somehow
0: man they got internet over there
1: (laughs) yeah i know it's like it's like america (laughs) and everything right they have (laughs) it's not like i'm going to another country or something right (laughs)
0: well you are (laughs) but not from our perspective that's true that's true yeah
1: yeah i mean i guess that's the thing right like i don't but again like you know when you when you read these these houses you never know like that's what david does he he always gets these these deals where he gets a airline finds a cheap flight and he gets that rents a house and then you know you're not paying hotel fees and that kind of stuff and you get to book your own food and
0: whatever right yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm. yep that's fun, fun, fun
0: not to go on dour topics but you guys following this uh, Notre Dame stuff yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah for sure it's crazy yeah
1: I was there in 2004 well it's a, obviously a, a, a mecca for anybody who studied, studies architecture because an example of flying buttress construction you know You have the huge flying buttresses there which take the load of the roof which they don't have a load anymore
0: you know? <laughs> it's an interesting discussion about what do you do what do you do as part of the restoration renovation mm-hmm. and some folks go on on the whole spectrum from like make it exactly as it was yeah it's just a little tricky because what it was was already renovated several times and so there's like the spire for example was from like the 1800s it was not original because the original had itself rotted away and they had to replace and then there are folks who were on the far side of like oh it should be like completely modern to george lucas it yeah <laughs> just special edition the heck out of it <laughs> and i i think i lean towards the side of restore it to what it was but with modern infrastructure to do fire suppression, right? So that's like, this doesn't happen again, sort of thing. And, and hide it, like like Disneyland style. Like hide it so that people can't really tell that it's there. So you still get the, the awe of the, the grandeur of, of the cathedral.
1: Okay, I'm going to send you a picture here. Let me grab this picture. So This is a picture of our Royal Ontario Museum, which is a, a building that was built in probably, you know, 150, 200 years ago. And this is how they renovated it a few years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that is interesting. I <laughs> <laughs> Where did you say this was? What is this?
1: It's a Royal Ontario Museum or the ROM. This is our like our big you know, museum where they got the, you know, the bones and the totem poles and dinosaurs and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's modern. It's definitely modern. I'm trying to decide if it's been Borgified or yeah. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse.
1: It's like it's got this it's, sort of... It's happening. Uh, this uh, sugar molecule growing on
0: the side of it, right? Yeah, I, I guess this is what people are talking about when they say you mix it with modern. I, yeah. I don't think I'd go that route, personally. I think I'd restore as much, you know, the main areas restore as much as possible and then, you know, side areas that were more utilitarian it yeah, turns out into a starbucks or something sure that's fine you know mm-hmm. have a, a little library that people can uh, rent books or even a, a shop where you can buy books about the history of the cathedral and so forth yeah i'm gonna show you another
1: yeah,
2: picture I this think is our... go this way with notre dame it's too too classic
0: <laughs> yeah well
1: here's our this is our art gallery of ontario which they uh, frank Gehry. you know who frank Gehry is I heard name. I do I not. american architect mm-hmm. he did i think he did the rock and roll museum in um seattle mm-hmm. the Jimi hendrix thing oh
0: the experience music project EMB. yeah see
1: that so that that's the facade of the uh, AGO that they did many years ago, ten years ago, I guess. I mean, it's beautiful inside, and you know, and they really went to town on the outside as well. So, same sort of idea. They they really sort of went to town on it. It's interesting spaces on the inside, right? Like you know, as opposed to boring old museums and stuff like that, right? But I mean, the, the I mean, the whole idea behind Notre Dame is it's it's a church, right? <laughs> it's the main cathedral for for Paris, and it's at the center of Paris. So I don't know if they would really go all radical on it. That wouldn't make sense. And it took a hundred years to build it, too, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it started. In, it's uh, it's a, how long? Eight hundred years old? Eleven sixty something. It started. But it, they were saying I was listening to somebody talking about it today that he was saying it was overdue for renovations, right? Like it. Uh, it was like it was going to fall apart anyway. And it's not the first time it, parts of it have collapsed, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yep. Yeah, latest today was that they think that there was some sort of faulty um, fire detector. I don't know what kind of fire detector they're talking about, if it's just a, a simple smoke detector or something <laughs> yeah. more sophisticated, right?
1: They probably didn't and change the, the batteries at, on uh, daylight savings time.
0: Yeah, and it's it, apparently time was wasted because it went off in one area that it wasn't supposed to. Like There was no actual fire, and so the firefighters no, were like, confused and, and losing time that so wow that's what i'm talking about having like you know modern infrastructure for for safety because like, okay i mean i know there's a lot of discussion about like saving the the artifacts and saving the mm-hmm. building and saving the people mm-hmm. um, well they
1: had moved a lot of stuff out because of the renovation they had some of the huge statues that were on the outside they had taken those down when they were putting the scaffolding up so, yeah. yeah, I know they lost precious, valuable things on the inside too, right?
0: Yeah, and and it would you know it would it would suck to lose those for sure. But I think I lean towards the you know protecting people in case this sort of thing uh, ever happens again. You'd would love to see fire suppression.
1: Uh, well, they, in our um our St. Michael's Cathedral in Toronto, they apparently the they talked to the Archbishop and he was saying that they had already gone through and and uh, upgraded the building to have more modern, uh, I guess, alarms and systems like that, or maybe maybe they've added sprinklers or something. Uh, you know, they have to do it in such a way it's not obvious,
0: right? So this is even with some modern upgrades for that.
1: Yeah, it's the same it's the same wow. style it's not quite as ostentatious as Notre Dame, but it does have um a lot of uh um interesting things like that. Talk to you later.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh keep us uh appraised about your schedule and we'll figure it out next week. Sure, sure. Okay, okay. cool. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.